and explain to you kind of what they did um, and who they were from the text here that we have, because there's a lot of misunderstanding, or I should say there's a lot of people that want to use this as an excuse for uh, charismatic female pastors and preachers and prophetesses. And if any of you, I, I know you guys are busy, a lot of you, but I don't know if anybody saw the broadcast from yesterday, but if you saw the charismatic lady that was on there, if you, if you saw that, that prophetess lady uh, calling all the African-American women up <laughs> and laying hands on them and freeing them from, and, and tell them they have acceptance. <laughs> and she repented for the Caucasian race. Um, so I just want you all to know that if you're white, you got repented for. Uh, so you're, you're covered, you're good. But anyway, right, absolutely amazing. Substitutionary repentance. But, but uh, that is a new doctrine. But anyway, that's the charismatics for you. But, but a lot of people use these, a lot of women use these, these type of figures or these sentences that are in the scriptures uh, concerning like Philip's daughters and Deborah and others. They, they use it to try to promote uh, a usurping of authority. And it's important that we understand where that kind of where that spirit comes from. But also, if we just look at the text, we're going to see a lot of things that that this text explains to us. And it, it brings out what actually happened here. So we're going to cover that here tonight uh, and, and go through that a little bit and teach you some things that that you need to know. And it'll there's some application for all of us here. Uh, that will help us to apply some things to our lives, especially young ladies and young men, uh, some things that are very important. Acts chapter 21, verse number 8. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days... There came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. Now, we're not going to really explain who Agabus is tonight a lot. We will mention him briefly, but we'll mention him next week more. Uh, but right now, we'll mention, we'll, we're, we're going to talk about these four daughters and, and show you just from the text here some things and then show you some other biblical things that are important for us to understand and to know about this. See, your theology and your practice and your theology need to be straight. They need to match up. What you believe is what you should practice. Amen. Those charismatics, they, they practice what they believe. As Baptists, we ought to practice what we believe, right? And we do here, we do, when it comes to these issues, we do practice what we believe. And uh, I hope you do too, and I hope you understand that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you. And we just praise your name for all of your goodness to us. Help us, Lord, to understand this tonight and to learn and to grow thereby. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing I want you to notice here is the man Philip himself, before we even get to his daughters. The Bible says he is Philip, one of the seven, right? He, which was one of the seven. Acts chapter 6. I want you to turn there. We're going to go back there a little bit. And this is the reference to the seven that's being discussed here. He was a deacon. He was, the hands were laid on him by the apostles, and he was there to do a work. He was part of the work that, uh, so the apostles could continue in word and doctrine. And then Philip ended up preaching later. He was an evangelist. He ended up 
preaching later, right? We, we're going to find him later. But anyway, Acts chapter 6, verse number 5, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephan, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and, Timon, and Parmenes, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. So here we have these men being servants, right? Their, their hands, hands are laid on the seven and they are deacons and they are out there to serve and to wait tables and to take care of things that need to be taken care of, like fix things, like uh, take care of things and make sure things are taken care of so the apostles could continue to preach the word and to pray and to keep their, their, uh, their focus on the ministry, on the work that God had called them to do. So you notice then first the importance of Philip's faithfulness. Though he was an evangelist and a deacon, he was a faithful father and husband that raised godly daughters. So then he no we notice that he settles in this area after being used of God in revival and to baptize the eunuch. Do you remember that? He, he take, he, God takes him in the spirit up. He baptizes the eunuch. What doth hinder me to be baptized? If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Right? He tells him and then he baptizes him and then whew, the spirit takes him up and he's gone. Right? And Philip is gone. Well, we notice that God honors him, right? God honored his faithfulness as well. He is noted among God's people as one of the seven first deacons that were chosen to serve the Lord there. We must never think it's a small matter, though, to serve the Lord in whatever capacity God has for us. Whatever that is, if it's, if it's doing dishes, if it's cleaning tables, if it's cleaning the bathrooms, if it's preaching the gospel, if it's whatever it is, whatever the service is, playing an instrument, helping out, printing tracks, whatever the work is, God honors that faithfulness. God honors that willingness of servitude. And that's how God's people ought to be, always ready to serve, always ready to be a servant. In the most menial or smallest tasks at all that there might be, they ought to be willing to step up and to do them. Amen. There is no task that is too great for, or too small or too, uh, too little for us to do if God wants us to do it, right? Well, that's not very important. Well, everything is important to God. God takes notice to everything that we do. He takes notice of those waiting on tables. He takes notice of the widows that took care of people that were faithful. God took notice of all that. God takes notice of, of a single person's faithfulness to him to be a servant, right? A single lady or a single young man. God takes notice of their faithfulness, of how they are faithful, right? How, how they serve the Lord. That's what sticks out here before you get to anything is that this man was a faithful man. And that's important today because we need more faithful men and women and, and children and people that will be faithful to the house of God, faithful to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and to, to do the work that God has called us all to do. Amen. You know, so uh, we think about the ladies that serve and clean and prep food and organize things. There's all kinds of places of service to help out, and God recognizes those things, right? He honors that. So that's the first thing to understand, that God honors that. By the way, a wife in a house that is serving her, her husband and, and raising the children, that's noticed by God. God takes great notice of that. He does in this text, and I'm going to show you that, that there's great... There, there, God, God puts an emphasis on that. God explained this thing of Philip's daughters and prophesy, and how they prophesied and everything. He explained it right in this text very well for you to understand that it's not what the Apostle Catherine, the Pentecostal 
fake charismatic apostle woman out there is uh, gathering the puke buckets and setting people up to, to, uh, to have demons cast out of them. We don't see Philip's daughters doing anything of the sort and nothing like that at all, do we? The next point I want you to notice is that his four daughters were virgins. They were pure young ladies. They were pure who knew no man. Not because they had a vow, but because they were waiting on the Lord. What this tells us is that young ladies and young men, that purity matters to God. God looks down at your purity and he sees it. And God loves purity. It's, it's, it's a picture of his holiness. And God wants every young woman and young man, he wants all of us to be pure, but he wants every young woman and young, young man to be pure. God cares about that. He cares about you walking with him in purity. He cares about you abstaining from fornication and waiting for God to give you a spouse someday. God noted this about Philip's daughters. It does not mention their names. Do you notice that? We don't see anything about their names. What do we see about them? Their purity. That's what the Bible speaks of. It, you, you, never, you don't even know who his daughters are. All you know is they're Philip's daughters. That's all you need to know. They belong to Philip. Amen. Think about that. That'll mess some people up when they hear that. They don't like that. Well, that's why you take a husband's name. That's the reason that's done. Why? Because that's your wife. That's your, those are your children. Amen. That's why. Does that bother you? Sometimes that, that, that causes, there's this little like, um, there's this little fleshly uh, rooster tail that comes up with some women sometimes when you say things like that. That feminist streak comes up and they, they almost like, they almost get this red streak that goes right up through the middle of their hair all the way down when you say something like that, which makes me want to say it even more because it is God's order. It is God's way. And you ought to think about that, that this is God that did this. God, by the way, you and I have no right to question God on why he, why he does what he does when it comes to that, or why he set the order in the way that he did. That's God's order. That's, the, that's what God set it up as. All we know of these daughters, we don't even know their names, but we know that they were Philip's daughters. And they, you know, that's important to understand. But we also notice here that he talks about their purity, them being virgins. God cares about you walking with him. God noted this about Philip's daughters. It does not mention their names, but it mentions their purity again. Think about that for a moment. God knew it was more important than anyone knowing you or you being famous young lady or you being rich or you being in front of men or you being recognized, but that you are pure. So that purity is what matters to God. That purity, that pure walk with God. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 8, I will therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair of gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Right? That's God's order. That's God's way. Then he goes on to say, let the women learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. What is he, what is he talking about here? They're modest, godly, sober, shamefaced, professing godliness testimony. Like your, your life as a young lady and as an older lady even, but as a lady should profess godliness. 
It should promote godliness. Your, your life should, your testimony should, your purity should. It should promote godliness. That's what it should do. Amen? Walk in purity. Walk in the Spirit. 1 Peter 2.11 warns all of us, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. There is an absolute war for purity. Fleshly lusts war against the soul. The battle. To walk in this world today in purity is a battle. It's a fight. It's a war. Amen. It will be. Bible promises that. By the way, that's just not for girls. That's for boys as well. Philippians 2, 12, uh, verse, uh, uh, chapter 2, verses 12 through 15 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. God wants his people to be holy and walk in purity. That's to abstain from fornication. That's to flee from fornication, right? 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you, should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. You ought to know by the grace of God and by following the scriptures how to, how to possess that body of yours, right? How to conduct yourself to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence. What is that? That is, a, that is an uncontrollable, perverted fornication and mindset and and just a lack of of uh of control of the of the appetites animalistic in some ways Mo, mo uh acting or mocking and acting like an animal right like a bunch of dogs in heat not in the lust of concupiscence even as the gentiles which know not god you young men should be known for your purity as well you ought to be known for that. Your life ought to be known for purity. It ought to be known for, for you walking in purity, right? And the older you get, the more you ought to have a desire to walk in that purity and holiness and abstain from, from those things. By the way, you know how you want to know one of the best ways to abstain from that? Don't meditate on it. Don't meditate on perversion. Don't think about perversion. Don't let perversion go through your mind. Don't let perversion go through your heart. Don't, don't meditate and think on. Don't lust in your mind and your heart. But when thoughts come in, you cast them down immediately and you do not, under any circumstances, think about them or meditate upon them or add any fire to them or any heat to them. But you cast them down and you meditate on Scripture and you move on from that. Amen. You keep your heart fixed on the Lord. God cares about your purity. 
If there's one thing that God's people ought to be aware of, it's, 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 it's that, that the Lord has called you unto sanctification and to possess that vessel of yours in honor. And by the way, you young people better be careful. Be careful about the books you read. Be careful about the things that you put before your eyes. Be careful of defiling yourself with things that will harm you. When in doubt, throw it out. Right? If I can't settle it in my heart, then I just get rid of it. And I've done it so many times in my life. Broke it. Why? I'm not settled on it. It bothers me. Just throw it away. Throw it away. Burn it. Throw it away. Get rid of it. Right? Oh, I can handle it. Some of you, you know, I, some of you young people, you, you think in your mind, oh, I can handle it. No, you can't. You can't handle sin. You can't handle fire. You can't take fire in your bosom and not get burned. If you, if you actually think that you can do that, you're deceived already. You can't play around with fire and not get burned. You can't play around with sin. You can't flirt around with sin. You will fall in. Amen. You know, it, when, when you start playing with fire, when you, you know, I remember one time, I've told you this story before, but I remember when I was up in my attic when I was a kid, man, I was young. I was like four or five years old. And they had this, they're, they're, I told you about that open insulation and I would take matches and I would, I, I would start things on fire and then I would just like pat them out real quick, right? I just pat, Paul, I just pat it out real quick, right? Well, then it went a little longer. Went a little longer. Pretty soon the whole attic was on fire. Could have killed everybody there, burnt the whole house down. Right? Well, that's how sin is. You, 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 you sin and you have that open flame next to a lot of stuff. And there is, you have a sinful nature. So when you play around with sin, it doesn't take much to get kindled. You're already bent on evil. Hearts are already bent on sin. Don't you understand that? The human nature is vile. It's already disgusting and fallen and bent on sin. So when you flicker flames around stuff that can light on fire easy, you're not going to be able to put it out quickly. And pretty soon it's going to consume you and you're going to be taken by it. And you're going to wonder, how in the world did I ever get this far? I'll tell you, you started playing with fire. And then you took it in your bosom and, and, and it, it, it stoked the flame and it went high and you couldn't get it out. And then you went deeper than you ever thought you'd ever go. And years and years of regret will come from that. Years and years of regret will come from that. Oh, oh, you say, but God will forgive me. Oh, yes, he will. Absolutely, I believe in the grace of God. Absolutely, I know the forgiveness of the Lord. The, the problem won't be the forgiveness. The problem will be you living with yourself for the rest of your life. Because those things, they don't go away. And by the way, that has nothing to do with God forgiving you because God does forgive sin according to the blood of Christ and the atonement that was made on Calvary. Amen? But you, you, you're going to take it with you. There's things that I, I, I can never get out of my mind and heart. I don't meditate on them, but they come back and stick me. Keep it clean. And then you don't have to. You don't have to have that many regrets. 
Once you have those regrets built up, it takes a long time to, to deal with those correctly. Daniel chapter 1, verse number 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. The Bible warns us that, 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 that we ought to flee fornication. We ought to stay away from that. Daniel was one that ran. Joseph was one that ran out of the house, right? Joseph, he fleed fornication, right? He ran away from that. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to God. You have no right to defile them. On the contrary, you have a duty not to. You have a duty to walk in purity. You have a duty to serve the Lord in purity. And that's what these daughters of Philip, they were virgins. Philip the evangelist, his daughters are, uh, you know, they're far from what many pastors, children, and evangelist children are today. A lot of the, a lot of the, you go on Facebook and you see, and, and, and social media, and you see a lot of these pastors' children and, and evangelist children, right, on there, worldly, perverted into pop culture and fornication. What does the Bible say about Philip's daughters? They were virgins in their father's house, right? They were virgins. They were pure. They walked in purity. That's important. You know, God still cares about that. I don't care if it's 2022 or if it's A.D. 70, it doesn't matter when it is. God still cares about purity. God still, I don't, if the whole world tells you to sell out your purity uh, and, and you have these 10, 12, 13, 14, actually 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 year old children having boyfriends and girlfriends and all this other stuff, for what? What's the purpose? Right? What's the purpose? There is no purpose except fornication. Right. I just saw a sad news article about a, I think a 10-year-old girl that was killed by a boy. He was 15. His fa- the father of the girl didn't know where she was. She wasn't with him. She was out at her aunt's house or somewhere, and he didn't go pick her up or get her or anything like that. And Apparently, this boy killed her. Why it's important to follow the scriptures. You know, we never, by the way, did you know something about this text? We never hear one thing that Philip's daughters prophesied. You understand that? We don't hear any of it. God never listed one thing that those girls prophesied. He doesn't doesn't tell us about that. What does he mention? Their purity. He mentions that he mentions their purity. I'll get to the next point here in a second. But that's what he mentions, right? He mentions that. God counted it of little importance for you to know what they prophesied or what they spoke of or what they talked about. What he wanted you to know is, is, is whose daughters they were and the fact that they walked in purity and they were in their father's house, right? God never mentions anything they said, but how they lived their godly conversation. The Bible says, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. By the way, you know women are the best evangelists and the best preachers when they follow their head when they follow and they're, they're, they're submissive to their husbands. 
even the lost husbands. That's what the Bible says. If you, if you, if a woman or, or a daughter wants to be a good evangelist to her father or husband, then what she does is she obeys the scriptures. It's not that she preaches and, and gets up there and, and delivers sermons and tells their father and mother or father and, and husband about every sin they commit or every mistake they make or, or anything else. It's their godly conversation. That's what wins them. That's, that's God's formula for a, for a woman. That's, that's his formula. It's not what they say. It's what they do. It's their actions and how they, how they conduct themselves. Their mild temperament, right? Their submissive spirit. Their godly attitude. Their patience and their contentment. That speaks volumes for them, right? It does. That conversation, it means general course of manners, their behavior, their deportment, especially as it respects morals. Oh, above all else, young ladies, be pure. Walk in purity. After being saved, the one thing that your chief aim ought to be is to glorify God and walking in purity, that your conversation cannot be questioned, that, that what you do and, and where you go and how you dress and how you talk and how you walk and everything else, that it, that, that it teaches Christ and Him crucified, that it teaches a holiness and a separation and a love for God. That's what, it te- that's what your testimony ought to teach. Not that you can be the sharpest dresser, not that you can show the most flesh, not that you can do any of those things, but your godly conversation, your manner of life, your morals, and your, and, and, and your course of behavior and your, and your deportment, how you conduct yourself. That's what means everything. Not how you can put makeup on perfectly or you can put lipstick on perfectly or, or you can do your hair perfectly or any of those other things. Right? I'm not saying any of those things are bad. What I'm saying is that those aren't the main things. The main things are your godly conversation. The main things are, uh, are that. When, when, when my children look for a, a husband or a wife, those, those things are going to be the things that I look at for, to help them through that. Those are the things I'm going to teach your children to look at. When I'm going to teach your children as they grow up to marry and probably marry one another, uh, as they do, I'm going to I'm going to teach them and, and teach our children. These are the these are the important things that God says are important. Not modeling or fashioning ourselves after the world, right? Like we don't need what they have. We don't. You'll ne- By the way. You'll never be able to serve God and impress the world. You'll never be able to do that. You'll never be able to serve God and impress worldly people with your dress. You're you're always going to be weird. You're always going to be kooky. You're always going to be different because you're not because you won't go about their riotous living. You need to settle that in your heart as a young child now that you are going to be, if you are going to please God, the world's going to hate you. You understand that? I, I want to burst Shattered Dreams Ministries, right? I want to burst your bubble. You will never be cool to the world. You, you will never be fashionable to the world. If, you follow, if your aim is to follow Christ, you will never impress the world. With, with how you dress or anything. You might make an impression on them as far as because you will not defile yourself with the king's meat. You'll make, a depre- you'll make an impression on them. You might even depress them. But, uh, but you, you will not impress them. You can't. You have to compromise 
to, to make the world happy. You will have to. They will not accept you. They will not accept what you do because you want to please God. And there's two spirits in the world. There's the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of the world, and there's the spirit of Christ. And you cannot play in the middle. You have to pick a side. Amen. It's important that you understand that. What's the next thing we notice about Philip's daughters? Point three is where we find them. You know, we cannot overlook these important details. Here's what the verse says. And we entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist, which is one of the seven and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. Look what it says here. It says here that they, they were in their father's house. They were with their father. They were where they should have been. They weren't out preaching around the countryside, right? They weren't out preaching everywhere. They weren't out uh, in the gates of the city as the men are to be, right? Where were they? They were in their father's house. They were servants in their father's house. That's what they were doing. That's what the Bible says. They're, they weren't out preaching and they weren't out baptizing and they weren't out gathering the puke buckets and, 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 and having a charismatic revival right there. That's not what they were doing. Right? Titus chapter 2, that the age, the age women likewise, that they be in behaviors becometh holiness. So aged women, the older you get, the more holier you're to be. The holier you're to walk with God, the closer you're to walk with God, the more separated you're to be as aged women. Why? You're the examples. By the way, which means mothers, as you grow older, one of the things that you're responsible for is to correct your daughters. It's, your, it's the husband's duty as well, but mothers, you're to correct your daughters. If you really don't like something your daughters wear, then you ought to tell them that. And you ought to tell them, go take that off and put something decent on. Would you be willing to do that? Or I don't like that. And here's why I don't like that. Let me show you why I don't like that. Amen. That's preaching right there. A lot of people don't. don't. I'll give you one further. If I saw something my daughter was wearing and I didn't like it, I'd thought, go, go change that. Take that off. You're not wearing that. You're a misogynist. I call, I call it being a dad. You can call it whatever you want to. I really don't care. Right? It doesn't matter to me if that makes somebody mad. It, it, it's important. By the way, my son, the same thing. It doesn't, matter if it, it doesn't matter if they're a boy or a girl in that sense. Right? Right is right. Correct? That's what matters. But anyway, so becometh holiness, not false accusers, not giving them much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober. You know, you have to teach young women to be sober. Why? Because girls can be really giddy. They can be really foolish. Why? Well, because foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. That's why. We're, we all can be pretty foolish. We don't need any help being foolish. Boy, we're good at that. I mean, we don't, even, we don't need anybody to teach us how to be foolish. We're by, by nature, we are very foolish, right? It takes the Spirit of God to teach us discernment and how to do things the right way, amen? But it says here that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home. Good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Let me say this to you, and I'll, I'll reiterate this when I get down to the actual ministry issue here. But no gift of the Spirit would excuse a woman from obedience to God's order. So no one today, none of these charismatics, 
can rightfully claim that they, these women, that they have the gift to go preach and the gift to go do these things and the gift of prophecy or whatever the case may be, and that puts them in front of a man leading a church. That puts them outside of their husband's authority and, and them out there doing that. No, they, they may claim it, but they have no biblical right to claim it. Because nowhere in the scriptures do you find that. You find that nowhere where a gift is given and they come out of that order and they do something that is outside of the way that God set things up. It's not the, that's not scripture, right? If you believe that you have a gift from the spirit, but your gift causes you to act out of order, you ought to examine that gift to make sure it's truly from the Holy Spirit. That is truly a wrought gift from God and not something that you've consumed upon your own lust. You know, these girls, we see them, these young ladies, they're in their father's house. They're virgins. They're waiting for the will of the Lord to be, be it marriage or be it service to the Lord through obeying their godly father. The last, you know, they're there, right? They're, that's where we find them. We don't find them out in the pulpit somewhere. We don't find them out in the field somewhere. We don't find them in those places. We don't find them preaching and doing those other things. We find them in the home, Right? So next, number three or four, whatever number it is, we're going to talk a little bit about Philip's daughters and that gift there of prophetess. Some of this I grabbed from Way of Life just because it, it had a really good, there's a lot of good stuff in, in that dictionary uh, or encyclopedia, excuse me, that, that contextualizes a lot of those things and brings those points down. So uh, I, I thought it was good to mention that. And, and that, by the way, that's a good resource to check at times for different things. But I like the way that he, he explained it, and it made a lot of sense in that, in that, in that way. So uh, what about the daughters? That's David Cloud's book, Way of Life Encyclopedia, that is. What about the daughters of Philip? Well, they were prophetesses. And then a lot of people ask questions about that. Does this mean that women can preach to men in exercising their gifts of prophecy? The fact that God gave gifts to, of prophecy to women does not mean they are free to take authority in the church. We have, we have a ton of uh, scripture that plainly tells us that they have no authority to do that. And they're not to usurp that authority. You know, we're reminded of what Paul, that Paul was staying at Philip's house. And even though the four daughters were there who had the gifts of prophecy, God used a male prophet from another city to come to prophesy to Paul. Remember that? Let's look at Agabus in that text. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which is one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And we tarried there many days. There came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So what do we see there? There's no doubt that God gave gifts of prophecy to women. He said, your young men shall dream dreams and your, and they shall pro and your women shall prophesy. He talked about that. Peter on the day of Pentecost had promised that, that on the handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. But the Holy Spirit, the spirit who gives the gifts, has placed restrictions upon the exercise of those gifts. 1 Timothy 2. 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to look at some of these texts again and, and, and chapter 14. Now think about this for a second. If, if those women had that authority, if they were to speak with that authority as, as, as charismatic prophetesses would have you believe, then what, what was the need of Agabus to come? Why did God send the man up, the prophet up, to come talk to Paul and tell him and to warn him this is what was going to happen? 
right? I mean, he could have easily used the little prophetesses that were in the room, but he didn't. Why is that? Because that's not God's way. They weren't to speak with any authority like that. 1 Timothy 2.11, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now you heard those verses. Let me ask you, ladies, you don't have to answer me. I'm just, this is one of those rhetorical questions. You, you, can, you can answer God. But do, does anything I just read to you bother you? Does any of those verses that I just read to you concerning why God laid his order down like that and the fact that he did lay his order down like that and that's the way that God instituted that order, does that bother you? Do you not like that? The question you have to ask yourself, do I, do I have a problem with God? Do I have a problem with the Lord, uh, the, Lord's met, the Lord's way of doing that, God's commands, God's order? If you do, number one, it's your flesh that fights that. And there's nothing godly about it. It's rebellion against God. And it ought to be, it ought to be repented of. There's no place for it. There's no cover for it. There's no acceptability of it. Right? But... You have, to, you have to recognize the fact that that's God's order, and God said there was a reason for that. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. That's why women are not supposed to lead in the church or in the home. Why? Because of that. Now, they guide the home. Much of what goes on in the home is left up to them in that sense. Nothing wrong with that, right? Nothing wrong with that. That's where God equipped them and, and made them to be, right? But you have to understand that God, God laid it out this way. He says again, in case you didn't believe him the first time, in 1 Corinthians 14, 34, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church to rise up and to interrupt and to ask questions and to do those things, uh, they, they were forbidden to do that, right? They were to keep silence. The first verse talks about the usurpation of authority, though. Not to usurp authority. Immediately after forbidding the women from speaking in the church meetings, the Apostle Paul warned those that who ignore the instructions are not spiritual. Look at this. This is what you see. Well, I was filled, all these women say, I was filled with the Holy Ghost and I was, I was filled with the Spirit and I had to get up and prophesy and I had to get up and preach and get the puke buckets out and, and start having real revival there, right? That's what they say, like, or you have like uh, the Joker, uh, what's her name again? Uh, Joyce Meyer uh, and, and the other, the other uh, Beth Moore. They're all a bunch of witches. That's exactly what they are. People don't like it when I call them that, but that's okay. They're a bunch of witches. That's exactly what they are. They're deceivers. They're Jezebels, and they're going to burn in a bed. That's what God said. Boy, I'm a lot nicer than God's going to be to them. They're going to burn in a bed, right? I, I, I don't do what God does. But if, if any man think himself to be a prophet, here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 37. Listen to this. When they say, but I was filled with the Spirit. No, you're filled with your own emotions. 
You're filled with some spirit, but ain't the holy one. Because look at this. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 14. Paul puts his period on there with that, with the Holy Ghost admonition there. And he says, hey, listen. These are the commandments of God. So you have to ask yourself as a lady, does, do these commandments bother me? Well, sure, some commandments bother all of us, right? But you have to check your heart and ask the Holy Ghost to check your heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Do I have a problem with my husband leading? Do I have a problem with following? Do I have a problem with following God's order? Then I ought to have my heart right with God. I ought to ask God to fix that in me. Because sometimes what you'll think in your heart, lady, is that I know I could do a better job than what he's doing. If he just did things my way, it'd be a lot better. You know what happens when women do that? And then they do, they, they really rob themselves of the blessing of, of, of a husband leading. They interfere with it. They interfere with it. It's not right to do, right? Didn't God say, some people say, didn't God say women would have the gift of prophecy? Sure. As for women prophesying, we know that Philip's daughters prophesied. But as noted previously, when God wanted to speak to Paul, he brought a man to do it. God richly gifts women in spiritual things, but they're restricted in the exercise thereof. There is every gift that God gives you is restricted to the position that he's put you in. You're not allowed to usurp that authority. Yeah, they're real gifts, but there's boundaries to that gift. There's, there's, there's order that God has laid out. The women's ministry is to be focused on women and children, right? We've talked about that. As noted, it's very instructive that there were no women apostles, right? No women pastors, no women apostles. God never, Jesus never called a female apostle. I say that to you again because these are practical things, but in this day and age, you have to really teach these things. Because you have, well, God didn't call any. Was God confused? Was Jesus confused? No, he wasn't confused. That was God's order. And the divine standards for pastors apply only to men, by the way. There are none for, for women. You see, none of these things free a lady to leave the order that God has instituted and usurp that authority the Lord has instituted. In 1 Corinthians 7.20, the Bible teaches us, Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou, if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's freeman. Likewise also, he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Your gifts, your salvation does not give you the authority to usurp and to do something that God has not made you to do. If we ignore all of God's order, then we'd have chaos like most charismatic churches do. So then the roles of men and women do not change with the gifts God has given. His order does not change. I want to show you this. God followed this completely. And I'll show you this by turn to Luke chapter 2. Because Jesus, when he came, followed it completely. He was our perfect example. Watch this. Luke chapter 2, verse number 49. You think about this. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wist you not that I must be about my father's business? 
and they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. By the way, he could have stopped there and explained it to them. You know that, right? Like he could have sat his parents down and he could explain that to him, to them. I mean, he could have made them understand, right? He's Jesus. He could, he's, he could, he could make them, they were good people. They were, they were God-fearing people. They would be saved people, right? So they, they would understand, but that's not what he did. Look at verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. What did he do? Jesus followed that same order. He came as a child and he was God manifest in the flesh. He came as a child and he went down and he was subject to his parents. Well, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Yeah. It did. But what did he do? Subjected himself to his parents. Why? He was a child. But he had all those gifts. Yeah, he did. But he still followed God's order. He, still subject, he was still an obedient child to his parents, even though he was gifted with all those gifts. Do you see how the, 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 um, the fact that you have those gifts doesn't mean that you have the right to leave the order that God has. Right? It, it doesn't give anybody the right to do that. If, if the Savior didn't do that, how are you better than your master? You're not. So those gifts are to be exercised in the order in which they were received, right? In the place that they were given. Was ever a man gifted like the Son of God? Not one but he was subject to his parents. So with all the gifts of the Spirit, the wife or woman is subject to authority, still gifted, but no gift gives a license to disobey the Lord. Galatians 3.28. People use these verses sometimes. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. The Christian woman today is not free from being a woman. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, well, you're free from being a woman. Well, then why in the world did he just give a bunch of teachings in 1 Corinthians and, all the, and Titus and Timothy about the order of a woman and the way that she's supposed to conduct herself? Well, because this, this is talking about salvation is available to man, woman, and child. Barbarian or free. The atonement, the atonement covers all sin. Right? They can all be saved. Whatever class they're in, whether they're a child, they can be saved. Whether they're a woman, they can be saved. There's no special class. This isn't circumcision, right? That only males would be circumcised. Right? It's not. But all men may be saved. All mankind. So children can be saved. Boys can be saved. Girls can be saved. Women can be saved. But that doesn't mean that God takes them out of being a woman. You don't turn into some spiritual transgender thing where you change your gender or you're, you're genderless. Right? That's not what Christ is saying there. That's not, or that's not what the Apostle Paul is teaching there. He's teaching that salvation, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Right? All saved by the same Spirit. But that doesn't mean the authority is the same. The authority is different. There were apostles. There are none now. Right? There are pastors. There are the, so, so there are different levels uh, in that sense of, of that in Christ. There are different met, uh, places of authority. I should say not levels, but places of authority. Uh, but that doesn't change the order. 
That doesn't change the fact that this church would never be biblically correct if they called a woman to pastor them. They, they could never say, well, she has a lot of good gifts. I don't care what she has. She's not a man. And that's against the scriptures. Right? And somebody taught that person with gifts wrong. If they have such gifts, right? It, means, it also means the same thing. This verse also means that a child, when they get saved, they're not free from obeying their parents. That's nonsense. You say, well, I'm saved now, Dad. I don't have to listen to you anymore. Right? That's what that means, right, Brother Paul? I'm saved now, Dad. I don't have to listen to you anymore. Do what I want. Well, if that's either male nor female, I'll be saying the same thing, right? My wife says, oh, I'm saved now. I don't have to follow you, husband. I'm saved. I have the Holy Spirit. I don't have to follow you anymore. I don't have to obey you anymore. I don't have to. I don't have to be your helpmeet anymore. I'm, I'm saved now. No, on the contrary, it should make you a better one. It should make you a better husband. It should make you a better child, a better wife. Amen. That's practical, isn't it? It's nonsense for anyone to think the Apostle Paul was teaching that or the gifts of the Spirit lift the order God has and makes it okay to do what you want. Like Pentecostal women preachers, right? First Corinthians, or First Timothy 6, 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. Listen, by the way, that doesn't only, that goes for fathers and children, that goes for husbands and wives, that goes for churches and their pastors, it goes, all of those things. That's, God's talking about the order there, it doesn't change because you're saved, right? But look what he says here. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ into the doctrine which is according to godliness, he's saying that this doctrine of order is godliness. It's a doctrine according to godliness. It's something that God cares about. Isn't it amazing that no one hardly ever preaches on it? They hardly ever talk about it. You go to church after church, hear sermon after sermon, none of those things are ever talked about. And we have a fundamental breakdown in American churches today of the family, the home, and the roles of the husband and wife. You have an absolute fundamental breakdown. You go to most churches, and they would think you are insane if you follow what you do right now. And all it is is plain Bible. And they would think you are crazy for following it. Amen. I'm telling you, they would. I know, because I hear it. I hear people get upset about it. Well, I don't hear it. A lot of, they, they don't want to talk to me about that. That's one thing they don't. They don't want to talk about that too much. Look what he says about them. He says, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmising, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. So Paul says, if some, if some woman preacher comes up to you and says, She's supposed to preach, and God's anointed her, and she's got the anointing, and uh, she knows it and all this stuff, and she's running around, and she's delivering people from demons and making money and filling her, filling her uh, coffers with a lot of money, making millions off of people, deceiving them and everything else. You rest assured they're going to talk how proud they, they're going to be very proud, and that, you know, they're, they're going to talk so much about, uh, about how much they do for God, and what the Lord is saying is, nah, they're just, 
they're just blowing their stack is all they're doing. They're empty vessels. They don't know the power of God. They're proud. They're ungodly. They're destitute of the truth and are to be set. They're to be separated from. We're to, we're to depart from people like that. These words also apply to those who are trying to throw off the apostolic teaching referring to women's subjection to man in the church and the home. When feminism crept in, that's when all this stuff became popular. That's when it became popular for female preachers, right? That's when all that stuff started popularizing that and that women's rights movement and all those other things that were pushed and the, the women's suffrage movement and all those other things that are pushed, right? And they pretend like they make you free, but really they put you into bondage. Because you look at the average women in the workforce today and they are in bondage. It is bondage. It's brutal. That's what it is. Because that's not the way God intended it to be. Such are proud and ungodly, the Bible talks about that and says we can, you know, and we can see how serious of a matter it was to God. So then you t- they take these young godly ladies that are in Philip's house, they're his daughters, and they make them to be some raging Jezebel preachers that are out there like the Apostle Catherine hosting revivals, right? That's what they make it look like. Or they're the charismatic preachers like Beth Moore, right? It's the furthest from the truth. And by the way, what did Beth Moore do? Take everybody back to Rome? She's in some weird, creepy Orthodox church now that she took all these people and, and, and from the Southern Baptist Convention after she accused them all of being a bunch of misogynist perverts and, and they were this and they hated women and, and, and all this other stuff and, and, and started preaching all her racist stuff and all this other stuff in the Southern Baptist Convention. And then what'd she do? Ends up in some weird church, uh, some weird Orthodox strain. It's Roman Catholicism is all it is, whatever they call it. I don't care what they call it. Anglican something, but it's all Roman Catholicism, right? It's one step away from mama. They're about there. She's going to bring them all back to the Pope. Right? That's where they're all going. That's where they're all headed, right? By the way, you, you see the Pope, he doesn't, he doesn't allow those bishops, those female bishops, right? But he promotes the female charismatic ones in the Protestant churches. And he supports them and he promotes, he promotes their meetings and he promotes their work. Why? Because they all have that spirit of Jezebel on them that the Bible talks about. That's exactly what they have. God never called a woman preacher, pastor, evangelist, or deacon, or apostle. Nothing of the kind can be found in the scriptures. And there's as much evidence for a female pastor or evangelist in the Bible as there is trying to find one of those verses that teaches infant baptism. You can't find either one of them. Amen. You'll be looking for a long time. Maybe you have to be like those Kabbalistic people and look at the, look at the white and not between the lines. Yeah, look at the white, not the words, right? That's what they have to, that's what, must be what these people do to find that stuff, right? But Philip's daughters, you know, they didn't usurp authority. They weren't like that. What does that word mean as we close here to usurp? Remember that what that word means. It means to seize and hold in possession by force or without right. As to usurp a throne, to usurp the prerogatives of the crown, to usurp power, to usurp the right of a patron. It means to seize it by force and to take it. That's what you see today. And then you see effeminate men giving it over, giving over to that today. And you find that. But you don't see that with Philip's daughters. What were they? Godly ladies in their father's house, virgins, pure, prophesying, no doubt, but waiting for the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. And the last thing that is mentioned about Philip's daughters is the fact that they prophesied. Everything else was mentioned first. 
as to who they are, their manner of life, who their father was, right? All of those things. Think about that. Think about the things that God brought out in that text of importance. Then you can think about exactly the order that is there. Um, if you want more on, on, on this topic of prophetesses, you can, go, you can go back and look in the archives into a sermon I preached um, on um, what about Deborah and other silly excuses women make to usurp authority over men. That was a good one. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, so next week, Lord willing, we will talk about Agabus, who was the, the prophet that came and, and who gave Paul a message from the Lord as far as what was going to happen to him and, and how God used this man and, and the direction that Paul was headed in. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you uh, for all that you do for us. Thank you for the plainness and the truth of the scriptures. Help them to sink into our hearts. And Lord, may they change us and may they fix us, Lord. If there's a heart here that is not happy with that godly subjection, that a wife is to have and a lady is to have and the reason for God's order and, and all those things that her heart would be right. And if there's a man that's not leading the way that he should in love and in kindness, that he would be right, Lord, all of us, that we would examine our hearts according to the scriptures, that we would repent of things. Lord, the order is so important. You laid it out for us. Jesus followed it when he came. Help us to be like our Lord and follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.